Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open to the book of Exodus, chapter number 12. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, everybody there? Six people said, yep. <laughs> All right, if, tell you what, if you're at Exodus 12, if you can stand with me, please do so. And we're going to read a few verses here. We're going to read verses 3 to 7, and then 11 to 13. We're sort of summarizing the passage a little bit. Exodus 12, let's begin verse 3 through 2 and including verse 7. Let's begin. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls, every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And down to verse number 11 through to verse 13. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Well, we're going to be talking about this Passover service tonight. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have a wonderful Passover called Jesus. And help us, Lord, to understand that to, by faith. See what that's all about. Holy Spirit of God, use the Word of God tonight in our hearts. And help us to give thanks to the Heavenly Father. And oh, how, how blessed we are to know you as Heavenly Father. So much that we can call you Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That's intimate. Lord, thank you that we can be born again. Lord, we pray that if there even be one tonight who maybe has thought about it, talked about it, but hasn't yet quite done it, that you'd encourage them. Now is the time. Don't put it off. Be born again. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And so you have before you tonight the very first Passover. Now, much like birthdays, you only get one. You know that, huh? 
physical birthday. It's only, it only happened the once, didn't it? Unless somehow you went back inside your mummy's tummy and got physically born a second time. That doesn't happen often, does it? Once. You get one birthday. Everything else is a celebration of that. And so it's like Passover. There only ever was one Passover. And then everything after that is like a celebration of it, looking back to it. Does that make sense? That's the way it is, folks. And so here, the children of Israel were still in Egypt. God was wanting to take his people out of Egypt, but old Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all the world, said no. You know, it doesn't matter who the man is. He could be the most powerful. He could be the most wealthy. Who's the most wealthy man in the world now, do you know? Jeff Bezos. Who is Jeff Bezos? Amazon, right. And his net worth, does anyone know? A hundred and fifty-seven billion dollars. That's his net worth. And he owns 12% of Amazon. How about that? So he is by far the richest, and he's going to get richer too. Doesn't matter if it's Jeff Bezos, doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump or, you know, Vladimir Putin, or doesn't matter who it is. He's just a man. That's all he is. He's just a man. And God is giving his body life and breath. And when God says stop, he stops and he dies. That's how much power God had. And Pharaoh was just a man. That's all he was. He was not a God. He was a man. And Pharaoh says, no, I will not let them go. And so God said, all right. And so he started bringing in the plagues. It's like the little hammers. Bink, bink on the head. And then Pharaoh says, no. And then God brought in bigger hammers. Clunk, clunk. And Pharaoh said, whoa, I survived the, the bink, bink. I'll survive the clunk, clunk. And so he said, no. And so then God brought in even the bigger hammers. Pow, pow. And Pharaoh, whoa, whoa, all these plagues and things. And he said, oh, all right. And then he changed his mind. No, I'll get through this. And so God brought in the big sledgehammers. Kabong, kabong, right? Did you know God does a similar thing in our lives? Did you know that? And when we get out of line, when we... Uh, live the wrong way, God will bring in the little hammers and he'll go pink, pink on our head. And if we're smart, we'll stop and say, something's not right. Something's, you know, I shouldn't, what, Lord, what is it? Search me, O Lord, try me. But if we say, no, then come the little bigger hammers. Clunk, clunk. And if that doesn't work, pow, pow. And if that doesn't work, kaboom, kaboom. And if that still doesn't work, well, God knows where the atomic bombs are. And uh, he can bring anything in upon our heads. Oh, sometimes we're, we are our own worst enemies. I've seen it enough times in other people's lives, and I've seen it in my own life, too. That's why we say, if only I could go back a number of years and start life over again with what I know now. Oh, if only I could start life over with the wisdom I have. That's why we say those things. Because we're ashamed of some of our, our nitwit, you know, lifestyles of years gone by. And we wish we could erase that and go back and start over and not make those mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are very costly, aren't they? At the time, you don't think they are. <laughs> it's only later that you find out the depth of the 
the stupidity, the depth of the mistake. And sometimes it can stay with you for year after year after year. So it's good to be teachable. Humble and teachable, folks. That's what we want to be before God. Humble and teachable. And you know where you're going to get taught? Can you guess? Let me give you a hint. Uh, the book of God. You and I need to be reading the book of God every day. Every day. Open it up. Sit down at its banqueting table. Smell the aroma. Begin to consume the word of God. And the word of God will soon consume you. It will change your life. You'll become so, so satisfied with the Lord. You'll desire him more. You'll want to live your life for him. And God, in turn, will show you how to live a very successful life. It doesn't mean you'll never have a sniffle or a cold or the flu or that you'll never have some problem. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means with every possible problem you could ever have, he'll be right there by your side. And together, you're more than overcomers. All you need is God. And with him, you can overcome anything, even Pharaoh. And so this is, brings us back to Exodus. And poor old Pharaoh, he was his own worst enemy. He ended up being so stubborn, so rebellious, so stiff-necked, that he ended up destroying his whole nation. It's sad when that happens. When a man or woman can be so stubborn, stiff-necked before God, that they end up destroying their home and family and their future. And Pharaoh certainly is an example for us here. So we've got this uh, first Passover, and this was the last of the plagues. Nine of them had come and gone. And already, Egypt was decimated. And yet old Pharaoh, you know, true to his nature, he held out one last no. Now it was too late. Now God was going to bring in the ultimate. And that was the death of the firstborn. Irregardless of who they were, they could have been Egyptian, they could have been Jewish. God provided one way out of it. One means of escape. Now if you and I were living in Egypt back then, we'd have to use that one way. If we said to ourselves, if we got all together, here we are living in Egypt back under the days of Pharaoh, and we got all together and, and we said, well, you know, we're really not that bad a crowd of people. We're pretty good. I look good, you look good. This killing of a lamb, putting its blood... Whoa, that's, that's pretty gruesome. That's butcher shop religion, folks. Besides, it's very expensive, all of the lambs. I got a better idea. Why don't we just take a picture of a lamb? Everyone get out your cell phone, take a picture of a lamb, and then put that outside, like on your mailbox, so that the angel of death can, can come and see the picture of the lamb. That's good enough. That sounds good to me. What do you think? And anyone who went around along with that lame brain idea would suffer the consequence. You could do anything you want. You could stand on your head. If you did anything else except get yourself a lamb, shed its blood, you've got to sacrifice it, and put some of that blood on the doorpost and the lintel there, the angel of death comes through the land, and God said here, when I see the blood, now let's look at it again. Verse 13. When I see the blood. See those words? Say, say it with me and, and, and finish it here. 
When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Say it again. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It doesn't say when I see your cell phone. It doesn't say when I see your picture of a lamb. It says when I see the blood, then I will pass over you. And there's all kinds of people in the world doing everything but what they should do. Now God does not make heaven uh, a reward for shedding the, the blood of a lamb. That's not it. Back in the days of Egypt, God set this up as a picture of what was to come. Jesus is the ultimate Passover. And Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So many people think they're going to go to heaven because they're really not that bad a person. Tell me, do you think you're a good person? Oh yeah, I think I'm okay. Oh, I mean, I've never murdered anyone. Well, that's good news. You think you're a good person? Oh yeah, I think so. You think God would put you into hell when you die? No, I don't think so. Why? Why wouldn't God put you into hell? Because I'm basically a good person. And that's the religion of man. That's not the religion of the Bible. The Bible teaches all have sinned. Well, how many is all? Take a guess. Can you answer that question in one word? How many is all? All. Yeah. Is it almost all? Yes or no? No, it's not almost all. Is it pretty near all? Yes or no? What? I can't hear you. No. no. Is it 99% all? No. It's 100% all. All have sinned. There's not a just man upon the, the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. That means every single one of us has disqualified ourselves from eternal life in heaven. That means the only place we can go is hell. That's where God puts souls that can't go to heaven. He puts them into hell. You do understand, I hope, there is nothing else. There's no spiritual Switzerland where you can go to and escape you know, the war. There's no purgatory. There's nothing else except heaven and hell. See, how do you know? I read the Bible. I read the Bible. That's how I know. And did you know Jesus, when he was on earth, spoke more about hell than he did about heaven? That's interesting, isn't it? I wonder why he did that. Maybe because we need to get the message that hell is a reality. Did you know that a week this Tuesday, a week this Tuesday, listen carefully, you may not know this, you may not even believe that it's true, but I'm telling you the honest to goodness gospel truth a week this Tuesday final exams begin is that right or wrong stand up would you please Pastor Silver raise your right hand is that is what I said is it right or wrong it's right he says it's right there's the VP of the Bible College right there a week this Tuesday whether you knew it or not now we have a bunch of students with us did you students know that Yes, they knew that. The rest of us may not have known it, but they know. Now we all know it. What if I choose not to believe it? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It still doesn't change the truth. Now, if you're a student, what if you decide not to believe it? Well, that's your choice, but you're going to lose this final start, the week this Tuesday. And um, they don't last that long. They just last a few days, but those are the final exams. There's a heaven above and a hell below. 
Some people are so crazy. Well, I'll just wait till I die and see what happens. Uh, 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 not good, not good. And so we have here the first Passover, and this is exactly what happened. It literally happened this way. They would uh, kill the lamb and put some of the blood on the, um, the doorpost and lintel there of the house, and the angel of death passed through the land, and wherever the angel of death saw the blood applied, he passed over that house. You see, they did it by faith. Something like this had never happened ever, 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 ever before, where they were required to do this kind of thing. This was new. So they had no history, no previous history to draw upon. Did you know when you get saved, it's something brand new in your life? You've never been saved before. Now all of a sudden you hear you need to be saved. Well, what's that all about? Well, that's worth looking into, my friend. Absolutely. You're either saved or you're not. So if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. If you're not saved, it means you're lost. Still lost in sin and you're on your way to hell. That's the reality of it. I didn't make it up. That's what the Bible teaches. It's always taught that. That's the truth. And so in the land of Egypt, if a Jew said, well, I just refuse to believe that putting blood, you know, on the doorpost and lintel is going to save my firstborn, it doesn't matter if he believes it or not, it's whether he does it or not. If he doesn't do it, the angel of death is going to visit that home and the firstborn is going to die. And this went all throughout the land and the Egyptians who didn't believe it and Pharaoh who said, I will not believe it, even he was not spared. And he suffered the death of his firstborn. Wow. Someone has said that the worst thing that can ever happen to a, a parent is to have to bury a child. That's never happened to me. I hope it doesn't. But it's happened to a lot of people, hasn't it? Sure has. Sure has. And uh, it'll continue to happen, I'm sure. But this story here in Exodus chapter 12 pictured what was going to happen when Jesus finally came some 1400 years later. It was just a short time after this when Pharaoh finally said, okay I give up, I give up, get out, get out, and the Jews left Egypt and they came into the wilderness and it was in the wilderness that God started giving them more teaching and instruction and part of it was on the sacrificial system and how that they were going to start using animals, uh, lambs and goats and so on, to help cover the sins of the people, shedding the, the blood until finally Christ would come. And remember also in Numbers chapter 21, there was another kind of picture, a foreshadowing of, of Christ, and it's when the people had given themselves over to sin, and... Uh, death was uh, going through the camp. People were dying, getting sick and dying, getting bit by these fiery serpents. And then uh, God told Moses to take a, a brass, a brazen serpent and put it on a big pole and hold it up high. Put it up and so that whoever looked at it would get well. And that was definitely a picture. Jesus even used that in John chapter 3. He spoke about that. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, it's by faith. You don't get saved by taking communion. Did you hear that? Amen. On the table down here are some elements that are part of our communion service. This won't get you saved. 
In fact, I'll tell you a little secret. If you're not saved and you take this, this might kill you. There's nothing poisonous that we know of in there at all. But the promise of God is, if you touch this stuff, you're not saved, you give the impression you're saved, oh, I don't want people to think I'm not saved, and so you go ahead and partake, God will chasten you. And uh, if you're not saved, you may get sick and die. Now, has that ever happened? I believe it has. As far as I know, it's never happened in our church. Why? Because I scare you, that's why. I'm very scary to begin with, but it's communion time. I don't want you to make a mistake. And if you're here and you're not saved, or you don't think you're saved, or you're not sure you're going to go to heaven, don't partake. Leave it alone. Let the trays pass by you. If you know you're saved, but you're living in sin, you've got habits, bad habits, that God has convicted you about, maybe repeatedly, but you said, no, not today. I'm going to keep my sin and play with it some more, maybe for another few years, or who knows. When I get older, maybe then I'll give it up. And you go ahead and partake. God will judge you. You and I, we are to judge the sin in ourselves. That's our job, folks. That's our job. You know, um, many of us here tonight have had uh, the experience of raising children. And in hindsight, most of us will tell you the same thing. Children will do what you let them. Children will do what you allow them to do. And that's pretty much a universal truth. Now, that means that we've got to very carefully, in love, properly guide the children. We need to love them, we need to pray for them, we need to train them and teach them and help them to see what's right and wrong. And there may be a time we have to correct them of some, some means or something. But we, it's all, we always do it in love and with tears. And if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That's the promise of God. Children left to themselves. The Bible says a child left to himself bringeth his mother to what? Shame. Yeah. At one point she's just going to say, oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. We need to love the children and train them up. That's our job as parents. It's our job as Christians to judge the sin in our lives. You see, if we say we have no sin... We deceive who? Ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a, a liar. Because God has said all of sin. We say, oh, no, not me. It's like saying, God, you're a liar. That's not good, is it? No. So we need to judge the sin in ourselves. And praise God we can do that. That's something we can do. Well, let me tell you a story. It's a very interesting story. It happened in the 16th century. That means in the 1500s. True story. It happened in a town in, uh, in the Netherlands, in Holland, called Rotterdam. And it happened um, on a, uh, a street um, growth market. Back then, in the 16th century, the Dutch king, Philip II of Spain, I'm sorry, the, not the Dutch king, getting ahead of myself, he wasn't Dutch at all. He was King Philip II of Spain. There we are, set the record straight. He sent a great army under the, under the Duke of Alva to suppress the rebellion. There was a rebellion 
and uh, Rotterdam held out for a, a while, but finally it, it fell. And uh, the army went from house to house, searching out citizens and killing them in their houses. And in this one particular house, located, and it's still there by the way, on Grote Market, um, in this one particular house there was a group of men and women and children hiding there in, in fear, trembling. Uh, they heard the soldiers coming and a thousand terrors gripped their hearts. And one of the young men in that house had an idea. They took a goat and they killed it and shed its blood at the front door and with a broom swept the blood under the door so that it appeared out in the street. And as the soldiers reached this house they began to batter down the door and then they saw the blood coming from under the door and one of the soldiers said come away our work is done look at the blood beneath the door and the people escaped they were able to escape that house is still there and it's called the house of a thousand terrors we, we have a picture this was a hand drawing in the 1800s 1881 or something like that and there it is there it's still there today but apparently I'm told from what I've read it, the face of it has changed quite a bit it's got all kinds of wild graffiti painting and it looks different the top is supposed to look the same but there it is folks the house of a thousand terrors and you know something when Jesus died on the cross it was like it was like that he shed his blood it was like this picture we've read tonight about the Passover when I see the blood I will pass over you that's why you and I we need to hide ourselves in Jesus to say I'm a good person is not good enough it requires the shedding of divine blood we need to hide ourselves in Jesus how do we do that by admitting to Jesus that we're a lost sinner and we're hell-bound and we deserve to be separated from God because we're, we're criminals. We've broken God's laws. Criminals deserve to be judged by the judge and then put in prison or jail or something. Criminals deserve that. There must be some kind of retribution. There has to be uh, a divine justice. And to think that God's just some good old boy and he'll just overlook our sin is foolish. Sin must be paid for. And either we can pay for it or try to pay for it or Jesus can pay for it. And on the cross, he did just that. And he said, it is finished. And now that payment can be applied to any person's life. You see, has the blood found you? Has the blood of Christ cleansed you? Are you hiding in Jesus tonight? Or are you standing upon your good works? Which is it? It can't be both. Okay, we're, we're done with that. Thank you. You know that this was all prophesied in the Old Testament. You know that. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Psalms. There are so many, many prophecies that we're not going to take the time to look at, at even most of them, but just at a couple of them only. Because you get the idea. Of course, you know... Theologians seem to agree, conservative theologians agree that Christ was first referred to um, as the seed of the woman in Genesis 
But we get to Psalms, and uh, look at Psalm 16, verse 10. This is a prophecy of Jesus. Verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One. Notice that, capital H, capital O, thine Holy One to see corruption. This is prophetic of Jesus Christ. Back over in the, you don't have to turn there, but in uh, Acts chapter 13 and, and so on, you've got reference to that. Turn to chapter 22 of Psalm. And you've got a number of prophecies here in Psalm 22. You see, he, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where have you heard that before? Jesus on the cross. Um, you look at verse 6. It says, uh, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Absolutely prophesied how, how Jesus would be mocked. Look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Now has brought me into the dust of death. And Jesus cried, I thirst on the cross. Look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Look at this. They pierced my hands and my feet. <gasps> what, what was that in reference to Jesus? The nail prints. Right you are. Look at uh, verse 17. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me that's the stares of the enemy look at verse 18 they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture that's when they gambled for his garments um, if you look at Psalm 69 Psalm 69 please look at verse 21 Psalm 69 and verse 21. It says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is another prophecy when they actually put vinegar on a sponge and held that up to his parched lips to give him something to drink. Now if you turn to the right and go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah and find... Um, Chapter 50, mm, 53. Chapter 53. This is a, an amazing chapter. This chapter, listen to this folks. This chapter is so prophetic. It's, it's a literal blueprint of, of Christ. This chapter is so powerful that in many of the Jewish synagogues, as they're reading through the book of Isaiah, they stop at the end of, verse, of, of chapter 52 and they start at chapter 54. They jump over chapter 53. A preacher years ago was in Israel, in Jerusalem, talking to a Jewish man. And he, uh, he said, uh, tell me if you recognize this. And he opened up, uh, he had a, a small Bible with him, and he opened it up. And he read these words here. But he was wounded, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep <clears throat> have gone astray. 
we've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he, he read that to the Jewish man. And he said, do you know where that's found? And the Jewish man laughed. He says, yes, that's out of your corrupt New Testament. And then he turned the Bible and showed him, no, that's out of your Bible. Isaiah 53. The Jewish man's eyes opened, his jaw dropped. The preacher gave him the Bible. And the Jewish man walked away reading his own Bible. Isn't that something? This chapter 53 is incredible. He was um, physically abused. Uh, his face disfigured. Look at verse 5. When he says again, um, uh, he, was, uh, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are, we are healed. His, his physical abusement and, and so on that he, he went through. Uh, verse 14. Let me see here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse, verse number 9. That's right. Verse number 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. That's when he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Um, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now this talks of the resurrection. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was nailed, of course, between on the cross between two thieves, you know that. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And there's so many, many uh, verses in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus Christ. He was totally prophesied. Now, tonight we looked at the verses in Exodus chapter 12 and the very first Passover. And 1,400 years later came the Lamb of God who died on the cross to pay for our sins, your sins and my sins. If you're here tonight and you're trusting in anything, anything else but the shed blood of Jesus, you're on your way to hell, my friend, and you don't even realize it. If you're trusting in your good works, and I hope you're a good person, if you're trusting in maybe you had baby baptism, if you're trusting in that, some people do, you know, other people trust in the fact they give money to charity and give money to good causes and sometimes give money to churches. They trust in that. Some trust in the fact that they have prayers. They make prayers. They make prayers to Jesus or to Mary or the saints. Sometimes they use beads as well. Some people trust in those works. Some people have had the opportunity to kiss the ring on the finger of the Pope and they're trusting in that. Some have actually taken the pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem and uh, to uh, Bethlehem even. And there are certain shrines and so on that they, they'll get down and they'll kiss. And they'll trust in these things as well to get them to heaven. And they're sincere as can be and they're nice people, but they're sincerely wrong. There's one way and only one. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by the Pope. Oh, I mean, no man cometh unto the Father but by their good works. Oh, that's a mistake. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, says Jesus. So, he is the door. We either go through him or we don't. It's one or the other. That's why we're so emphatic in this church. That's why we take the Great Commission so seriously and so literally to go into all the world and preach the gospel the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ the good news that man can be saved heaven 
is a free gift offered to whosoever will. That's the good news. That's why we want to support more good missionaries. Brother Morris this morning seems to me to be a good missionary. Amen. Brother Ross to Israel. We just voted him on. He was our 69th missionary. He seems to me to be a good missionary. A man that will continue to try and point people in the right direction. Amen. Well, all that's very important. In John chapter 1, it was John the Baptist as he was preparing the way of the Lord. And people were coming and Jesus came and John stopped. And God revealed it to John the Baptist and he pointed and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away the sin of the world. You see, he takes it away. Re many religions today say, no, no, uh, some of it has been taken away. Now you've got to keep doing your good works in order to get the rest of it away. No, that's not the truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Taketh away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Hey, Robert, let me ask you a question. Are you married? Yes. Are you sure? He says he's sure. Now, when you remember when you got married? You remember that day when you first got married? Yeah, did you feel married that very day? <laughs> well, he says yes. A lot of people say no. That's a typical question that a lot of brand new married people get asked. Well, they say congratulations, the ceremony's over, they're, you know, the reception line, or shaking hands with the bride and groom. Tell me, do you feel married? And they're just, you know, they're, they got the grin plastered on their face, their permanent grin. And, the, and most of them say no. Because it takes time to really feel married. Do you feel more married now, Robert, than you did when you first got married? Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, I guess you've got to be married to feel more married, I suppose. Eh? Something like that. We, we can't explain it, but that's what most of us say. I feel more married today than I did, you know, back yonder. Well, supposing you had to keep checking. I mean, it might be a joke at first, but after a while, the joke would wear thin. And you'd look at your wife and you'd say, are we really married? And finally, she's going to pull her hair up and say, would you please check your marriage certificate, the wedding certificate? That's you on there. Yes, we are married. Now stop asking this question. Okay, okay. And then the next day, he comes to her with this look. Oh, honey, are we really married? Ah, she's going to grab the frying pan, you know, and hit him or something. That's no way to live, is it? Are we still married? Are we really married? Imagine you think you're saved. The next day, am I still saved? No, you've got to do more good works. Okay, and you do some more good works. Well, I think I'm saved now. And then the next day, am I, am I saved? No, those good works were only good for yesterday. You've got to do more good works. And listen, you know it's true. I mean, we kid about it a little, but you know it's true. People bound up in certain religions and so on, that's what they're taught. And if they ever stop, they stop going to that religion, they stop doing those good works, they are told, that's it for you. You will not go to heaven or eternal bliss or whatever. You will not make it because you've stopped. Well, listen, we never could get to heaven with our good works. And Jesus' blood covered it all. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. He took my sins away. Buried them in the deepest sea, he did. 
Amen. They're no longer there to haunt me. I'll get to heaven not because I've been so good, but because Jesus has been so good. He paid the debt that I owed. I couldn't pay. He paid it. Behold the Lamb of God. Isn't that wonderful? And on the cross, He said, It is finished. Payment in full. Hallelujah. He was sacrificed for you and for me. Um, look at one more verse, and then we're done. Go to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Chapter 3. In John chapter 3, we have this story of this Jewish man. He was a Pharisee. It means that he was part of a, a religious order of the Jews that was very strict. Very strict and very legalistic. His name was Nicodemus. The name Nicodemus means victorious. That's the name. His mommy and daddy named him that. We're going to call our boy victorious. That's a very noble sounding name, don't you think? Victorious. Sometimes we, we call little girls Victoria, right? And similar meaning. But Nicodemus, Jewish name meaning victorious. And here he was, he'd grown up now and don't know how old he was, maybe in his 40s, 50s. We haven't a clue, folks, we don't know. But he was old enough to be one of the rulers of the Jews, it says in verse 1. So he comes to Jesus, and he came by night. And they suggest he did that because he was too embarrassed, too afraid uh, to be seen coming to Jesus during the day. Now that may be true. And so he says to him, Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher. He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So Nicodemus was not stupid. He was smart enough to realize that these miracles that Jesus was doing, it could only be because he's connected with God. He comes from God. So Jesus then answered him, and Jesus doesn't say, well, that's very thoughtful of you. Thank you very much. He didn't say anything like that. Here's how Jesus answered him in verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He won't, he won't even see it, let alone be in it, unless he's born again. Now Nicodemus asked the question of the century, and he said, duh, what does that mean? How can a man be born again? He says in the very next verse, how can a man be born when he is old? Maybe referring to himself. Maybe Nicodemus was getting on up in years. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, obviously, he knew the answer to that was no. But he didn't know what Jesus was meaning. Born again. Born again? How can you be born again? And so then Jesus goes on to explain there's the physical birth, there's the spiritual birth here in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now listen, I, I hasten to say that there's two legitimate understandings or explanations on this verse here. Uh, many good 
people believe that it's a reference to the, the physical birth, water, the amniotic sac, and so on, at the time of, just before the time of birth, and the sac breaks, and there's the water thing, and all that. That physical birth, and then the spiritual birth. Then there are others, equally good, excellent people, who believe that the, the water is referring here to the Word of God, and then the Holy Spirit. Now, both, I think, are true. You absolutely need the Word of God in order to be saved. You need the Holy Spirit. But um, anyhow, I'll leave that up to you theologians to figure it out. But the idea is, he needed a spiritual birth. That's what Jesus is teaching in this. A spiritual birth. And in this, verse 14, in fact, he mentions, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we talked about that, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth, not good works, but belief. You see, it's by grace are ye saved through faith. Not good works. Forget your candles and your beads and your prayers. Forget your good works and the money you give. Forget the baptism. Forget, forget all of those things. For by grace are ye saved. That's what it teaches in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. It's God's grace. And you need to exercise faith. That's how you get saved. Someone comes up to you on your birthday with a gift. We'll pretend this is the gift. Hey, I hear it's your birthday. Happy birthday! And they hold out their hands with this gift to you. And you say, oh, my birthday. That's right, it's my birthday. Now, where did my purse go? Where, where's my wallet? Let me get some money and let me buy that from you. Oh no, 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 you don't buy it. It's your birthday. It's a gift. I bought and paid for it myself. I wrapped it myself. It's a gift for you, my friend. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, thank you. Would you take a dollar for it? Can I give you a dollar for it? No, 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 no. You can't give me a dollar. It's a gift. Oh, no. Listen, nothing doing. Let me give you a dollar for it. You know, if that person actually said, all right, give me a dollar. They, you give them a dollar, they give you the gift, you take that home and your family says, wow, where'd you get that? I bought it. That's exactly what you did. I bought it off this guy. He wanted, uh, he wanted to give it to me, but I bought it. It's no longer a gift. It's a purchased possession. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. What do you do with a gift? One of two things, right? You can only do one of two things with a gift. Number one is you can what? Receive it. Number two is what? Reject it. That's all you can do with Jesus Christ. Your good works mean nothing. It's by faith. You receive them or you reject them. Does that make sense? Because that's what the Bible teaches. If the Bible taught us that we get to heaven by being baptized and saying prayers, that's what we'd be preaching. That's exactly what we'd be preaching. You say, well, maybe that's just your interpretation of the Bible. <coughs> oh, yeah. It's like mathematics. Two plus two is four, but that's only my interpretation of it. You say, duh. That's only logic. Same with the Bible. It's written to be understood by the normal, natural man. Not by the ivory tower theologians, but by the average man. It's meant to be understood. God's not playing games with us when it comes to eternal life. Whosoever will, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. 
And so we have here the greatest verse maybe in the Bible. Verse 16. I want you to read it out loud with me. The words of Jesus. Verse 16. Read it out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Someone has called this verse the heart of the entire Bible. Isn't that something? This is an amazing verse. They've called it the gospel in miniature. It's so simple a child can understand it. And yet it condenses the deep and marvelous truths of redemption into these few words. God is the greatest lover. So loved is the greatest degree. The world is the greatest number. That he gave, that's the greatest act. His only begotten son, that's his greatest gift. That whosoever, that's the greatest invitation. Believeth, that's the greatest simplicity. In him, that's the greatest person. Should not perish, that's the greatest deliverance. Perish means to die and end up in hell. There's no greater way to perish. But, that's the greatest difference. Have, that's the greatest certainty. Not hope so, but have everlasting life. That's the greatest possession. That's what it's all about, folks. Isn't that why it's a wonderful, wonderful verse? The gospel in miniature. Well, we come now to that precious time where we want to remember what our Lord did for us. Before we do, it's always a good idea to bow our heads and to ask the Lord to search us. <clears throat> if you're here and you're saved, you're born again, you need to say, Lord, have I messed up anywhere? Lord, am I doing something I shouldn't be doing? Lord, have I gone astray? And if the Holy Spirit shows you something, don't argue with the Holy Spirit. Agree with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, you're right. You are right, Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and God's been asking you to do something. You're holding out on God. Stop holding out. Let God be God in your life. If you're here tonight and you've never truly, honestly been born again, you can do that right now. Right where you're sitting. In your heart. You can believe that Jesus died for you. That's what the Bible says. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In your heart tonight, believe that Jesus is God who came to this earth. 